August 22, 2021. Summer on the Mount. Week 7, Don't Judge. Good morning. I'm Kristen Farrell. I'm so glad you're here joining us this morning in worship. Uh, and I got to tell you, I'm so excited to talk today, especially because we're going to talk about something that you're all really good at. I mean, I can almost with 100% guarantee, promise you that you are very, very good at this. It doesn't matter if you're in elementary school, it doesn't matter if you're college educated, if you have a PhD, I bet you're good at this. Male, female, rich, poor, tall, short, I can guarantee that you're so, so, so very good at this. It is something that transcends, like I said, education, gender, age. We're experts at this one thing. You know what it is? Judging people. All oh, right, such a kick to the gut. In fact, some of you, right, didn't even hear what, I saying, what I'm saying because all you could focus on is what is she wearing, right? I mean, to wear a hat in a public building, let alone a church, I'm surprised lightning didn't strike, right? Because we have preferences and we look at people's appearances and we sometimes judge their character based on what we see, or a hoodie? I mean, who with any wisdom on an 85 humid day in Buffalo would walk around with an oversized hoodie? Or does she not take this seriously? What self-respecting adult would get up here with a hoodie on? And I get it, I drive through the village of Hamburg and I see teenagers with hoodies on on hot days and I think, what are they doing? So there, maybe that might feel a little bit better. And let's not even talk about the sneakers. I mean, come on. The emails that we get about people wearing vans up here, how inappropriate and disrespectful we could be wearing sneakers up here. Or worse, believe it or not, there was an Instagram account called Preachers with Sneakers. And what, what somebody was doing is they were taking pictures of well-known preachers and then putting the price tag of their sneakers next to them. And they were appalled. They were judging them so harshly on how much they paid for their sneakers. So just to make you feel a little bit more comfortable, don't worry. I've got something that might make you feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more appropriate for the occasion. Um, and some of you may be thinking bands. I mean, they're so last year, right? It's Converse now. So you might be judging my fashion choices that way. And here's the other thing that's even stranger. Some of you prefer that, right? Now I look like somebody you couldn't even relate to. And so it is just filled, our lives are filled with this kind of judgment. And today we're going to talk about that. We're going to unpack what the Sermon on the Mount has to say about that. We've had a great summer here at Watermark talking about this. We've had a series called The Summer on the Mount. And I don't know about you, but I have loved the way that we have just ushered in this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to really transform us. I want to be really clear that this has not been a series about behavior modification, but really about allowing Jesus to transform us so that we can bring the kingdom of God here on earth. As scripture says, thy will be done, your, thy will be done on earth, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have the opportunity to do that. Pastor Steve told us that we were apprentices, that we are followers of Jesus, and that's how we start to do this. 
And I gotta tell you, I don't know about you, but as you look around at the world today, there's nothing more really than the world needs, right? Than love, than connection, than unity, and lots of judgment. Doesn't seem like that fits in with that list of things. So let's jump right in. Let's look at how Jesus addresses it in a really complicated way. Ready? You're gonna need a lot of interpretation for this. Matthew 7, 1 says this, do not judge that be nice if we could all just go home now? Right? <laughs> I told you, we read it together. You are dismissed. Um, actually, it's a little bit more complicated than that. With every scripture we look at, we have, to think at the, we have to think about the context. We have to think about the content, too, about what's actually being said. Because in John 7, 24, it's, it's said this way. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Well, so that's confusing. If it says don't judge, but then it says judge correctly, well, how are we supposed to approach this? And that's what we're going to unpack a little bit today. I'm going to kind of talk through five things that will help us, in fact, do this, to judge correctly. So what I'm getting at here is the difference between judgment and wise discernment, because we are called to have that. And so, as I said, the first point is really easy, right? We already teased it out. It says, judging correctly is to avoid appearances that lead to single-story stereotypes. So, here's what I mean by that. You know, we judge people's character based on their preferences, based on their circumstances, and of course, based on their appearances. You know, we, we do it like I just did with the appearance, but it goes both ways. We some, see somebody in a sport coat and a pair of loafers, and we think they must be a boring, stodgy accountant. Sorry, accountants. Okay, I'm gonna get tons of emails from accountants. I'm so mad at you. Um, so we, we judge this kind of both ways uh, with appearance. We also judge people's preferences, especially in church. Right? If you're somebody who likes hymns, you must be a, you know, a boring, old, traditional you know, worshiper who has dust, I don't know, in your lives. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's so dated. But if we have you know, too, much, too much loudness, if we have too many lights, right? That, that's also how we judge people. But those are really just our, our preferences. We also judge people by their circumstances. I mean, I went to Frontier, so clearly I'm a rough and tumbly criminal. And the people that we hated more than anything were the rich, snobby Orchard Park kids. Sorry, Jack, right? <laughs> but, but that's what we do. We judge people on these single stories. My favorite TED Talk is by a Nigerian author, and her name is Chimamanda Gnozi Adichie. And the title of it is The Danger of a Single Story. And here's what she, what she presents. She says this, the problem with first impressions, stereotypes, these judging by appearances, when we judge people by stereotypes and appearances, it's not necessarily that they are untrue. In fact, sometimes that's where stereotypes come from, truth. It's not necessarily that they are untrue, but they are incomplete. They don't show the whole story of somebody, and they certainly don't dictate somebody's character. She goes on to say that when we judge people that way, 
what ends up happening is we focus on our differences instead of our similarities. We talk more about the things that tear us apart and divide us than the things that unite us in our humanity. And when we start to look at how we are similar, that's exactly what happens. We celebrate our humanity. And I don't know anybody better who celebrates our humanity than Jesus. Right? That's the whole point of God sending Jesus here, is so that he could connect to us in our humanity. And scripture reminds us all over the place of our similarities. Sometimes for the negative, we have all fall, fallen short. We have all sinned. And sometimes for our, the positives, you are all loved, we are all valued, we are all created in God's image. But it's the sameness that will unite us instead of focusing and judging each other on all of these differences. So let's just try an experiment if you don't believe me. And I really want you to answer by raising your hands. Raise your hand if you've ever felt like deep, hurtful pain. Raise your hand. Hey, guess what? Me too. How about have you, any of you laughed so hard that your abs hurt? Because you all have them, even if you can't see them, right? That your abs hurt and you've been crying. It's so funny. Anybody ever cry like that? Or anybody laugh like that? It's so great, isn't it? I love that feeling. Anybody been betrayed by someone you thought you could trust? Yeah, me too. I'm sorry. Anybody experience the abounding joy when you see someone that you love, that you adore. Me too. Do you see what this does? And how much more then is the church and us as followers, disciples, and apprentices of Christ, how much more do we have in common when we follow the same God, when we worship in the same church, when we have the same goals in mind as we live to pursue God and proclaim Jesus and participate with the Holy Spirit? It's so exciting to think of how when we can let go of that judgment, what will happen? Because Jesus makes it pretty clear that he is not into severe, harsh criticisms that lead to self-righteous legalism. So we need to avoid it. That's how we can judge correctly. But he does care about wise discernment. And that's where we'll go with Matthew 7, 3 through 5. It says this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No joke, last week I was making dinner and I grabbed a bag of red onions and a piece of dirt flew up in my eye and it was a total work stop. I haven't had something in my eye in so long and, and it just, it, chaos ensued. My children were there, my husband was there and I was standing there going, Jeff, just get, get a Q-tip, but wet it. I don't want a dry Q-tip in my eye. I could not see anything. I mean, having something in your eye is so irritating. And, and then we find out it's like the tiniest little speck. And yet we're so good in our lives at just ignoring these giant planks. But when, whether we have a speck or a plank in your eye, it clouds our judgment and you cannot see clearly. You know, the Greek word for hypocrite meant stage actor. And that's what scripture says. When, when you do that, when you judge other people's, when, when you're not addressing the plank in your own eye, you start to become stage actors, pretenders, where we can all look like good Christians, but inside, you know, we're, that's not the way it is. 
And the Pharisees knew a lot about this. They acted like churchgoers, but they didn't practice love or mercy. This part of scripture does not tell us to ignore other people's sin. Don't worry, we'll get to that. But it does say, do your own work first. First things first. Take care of that plank. You know, there's a phrase that kind of irritates me because I feel like it's usually said with gritted teeth. And it's this, love the sinner, hate the sin. Right? And, and, and we kind of, we say that in a multitude of situations. I would love to rethink that phrase and maybe say this, love the sinner, hate our own sin. Let's start there. Let's start there. So we have to do our own work first. And I tell you that that is not easy, right? It is hard to do this thing that we call seeking accountability. But I hope we would take a you know, lesson from David in Psalm 129 where he says, search me and know me. Find any offensive way in me so that I may walk in a path of righteousness. We have to get in the habit of praying that prayer so that we are not blinded by the planks in our eyes. And even harder, we have to be brave enough to ask other people. We have to ask people for help. We need to say, hey, is there any offensive way in me that, that you see? I, I pray that if you don't have people like that in, that, that you will be inspired to go do that. And those of you who do have those people in your life, whether it's your spouse or your community groups or, or your kids or other family members, I pray that we would get in the habit of asking that question so that we can hold each other accountable. And the other thing that we have to talk about, the third point is when we judge correctly, is we first have to ask, who am I judging? That's a really big question. And I'm gonna read one part of this scripture and then pause. Because in Matthew um, verse 15, chapter seven, it says, watch out for false prophets. And I wanna just define that word prophet. A prophet was somebody who um, believed that they had a word from God that they needed to share with other people. And so by that definition, if, if you're in this room pursuing a relationship with Jesus, that's you, right? You are a prophet. You, you've, been, you've had a relationship with God and, and you wanna share that message. And so what this scripture teases out here is it's speaking about Christians. So we have to first identify if we're judging our brothers and sisters or our brothers and sisters in Christ because there's two different ways to handle it. So if we identify that we are judging, and I'm giving you permission to do this, each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we judge them if it's not on our appearances or preferences? Well, scripture says this, watch out for false prophets for Christians. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So after we determine that it's a Christian, we actually can judge them. And we're gonna judge them by their fruit. What is their life producing? If, if, if we are followers of Christ and our life is producing bitterness, anger, resentment, uh, 
gossip, greed, selfishness, if we have uncontrolled behaviors, that's not what it's all about. That's not reflecting the transformative power of Jesus in our lives. And, and again, I mean, that, those, are, those are harsh, tough things to think about. But I, I heard this analogy once a long time ago. You know, if, if I have a can of Diet Coke and I'm drinking it and somebody bumps into me or pressure is applied, Diet Coke is gonna spill out, right? So whatever's in is gonna spill out when we get bumped. And we have to ask ourselves as followers of Christ, when we get bumped, when we get squeezed, when we feel the pressure of life, the chaos of things and arguments and disagreement, what spills out of us? Is it this fruit of the spirit? Is that the fruit that is being produced? Self-control, generosity, peace, kindness? It is a question that we have to ask ourselves. And moreover, sometimes we get this picture that a good Christian really is just someone who's self-assured and happy all the time and intellectual and you know, maybe has power and knows all the answers and independence and wealthy and probably athletic too. That is not, that's not the good fruit of the spirit. And so this is the really hard part is that if you don't witness good fruit in the people in your community, you gotta call them out on it. Some of us are really good at seeking accountability, but man, that giving accountability is really challenging, and it is. I'm not saying that it's not tricky, but we are called, there's actually a biblical mandate that we are called to give accountability. Not gossip, not meddle in people's lives, but to have those conversations that say, you seem really angry lately. And your actions as a result of that anger, I just don't understand. How's it going? Can we talk about it? Man, the words out of your mouth don't feel like they're reflecting patience and kindness. Is there something going on there? Right? We can have those, those conversations. We need to have those conversations. In fact, later on in, in Matthew's gospel, he, he gives us very explicit directions on how to do this. And here's what they are. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So first talk to that person. That doesn't work. Have somebody else that they love and trust and talk to them again. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Find a pastor or a leader. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Let it go, right? The, the whole shake your dust from your feet. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And I kind of laugh as I read those last verses because we as Christians love those last verses. They sound so heartwarming. Two or three of us are gathered, so God is with us. But we sometimes forget that that is in the context of conflict. That is in the, conf in the context of a really hard situation, of a very, very difficult conversation. But it says that God is present in those conversations, those difficult conversations. And I want to be honest, I hear a lot of people make excuses for not doing that. Well, I'm not confrontational. It's not in my personality. Or it's not my place. And again, maybe, isn't it, maybe it isn't. It, this takes prayer and discernment and a lot of relationship building. 
or I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I got to tell you, we need to do a better job at doing this. We need to be brave, <laughs> we need to be uncomfortable, and we need to bathe it in tons and tons of prayer because I know it is tricky. But we owe that to each other for people who truly want to be disciples of Jesus. Because what's the result? This is what I love. The result of these hard things is in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16 that says this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, this is the phrase that we're getting after here, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. A couple of weeks ago, I was at the Global Leadership Summit here that we hosted, and one of the leaders said this, <laughs> a divided country needs a unified church. And I felt like that was one of the most hopeful things that I've heard in the past year, because there's not a ton of hope outside the church and I'm afraid that even some churches that we're not feeling hopeful and united and peaceful here and safe within these walls. But we have to fight for it. We have to have those conversations. We have to keep pursuing this for our own good and for the world, for the people around us to glimpse that piece of kingdom, kingdom work here on earth. So drudging correctly, this one might irritate some of you. I know it's hard. Here it is. Don't judge non-Christians. We're not supposed to do that. So many times, and this is what I usually see the result of, is Christians get so frustrated because they're holding non-followers of Christ up to biblical standards and biblical mandates that they don't even care about. To me, it's like playing Yahtzee with the rules of Monopoly, right? Where's Boardwalk? It's just not there. And yet we do this, we spin our wheels and we get frustrated and we get resentful and actually we're not supposed to do it. It actually doesn't help anyone. Matthew 7, 6 puts it this way. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Please hear me, I'm not saying that we shouldn't share the gospel, we should, right? We boast in the gospel. We should all, you know, we, we love the phrase, you know, share the gospel and when necessary, use words, okay? So it, it is our, a biblical mandate also to, to share the gospel. But there was a Canadian missionary and theologian that said, why should anyone get to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once? And yet we spin it our wheels over and over and over again, trying to make people listen, trying to make people leave. But this, this analogy of the pigs and the swine and the dogs and the trampling and the pearls, there's actually an interesting twofold truth to this. When we do that, we don't protect the gospel and we don't protect ourselves. I, I love this, this scripture is a, is a 
fence to kind of protect what is sacred to us. We have, we have a, an opportunity to protect what is sacred and holy. And when we just throw it, it the gospel actually gets disrespected. And, and I know, I talked to some of you, your, your level of frustration is so high with the world right now because people are disrespecting the Bible and they're disrespecting the gospel. And that's what happens. We suffer as a result of it, right? You will be trampled and torn to pieces. The pigs don't care, right? The dogs are fine. But instead, we get so upset about this when Jesus in the scripture gives us the freedom to just let it go to just let all that spinning go, to say you don't have to keep beating people over the head with your truth when they don't appreciate it. Who in their right mind would give the keys to a Lamborghini to a five-year-old, right? It seems like insanity. We would never do anything. Who would give Bill season's tickets to Patriots fans? They wouldn't appreciate it. They probably don't want it. Right? But yet we do that again and again and again. And what happens is we get frustrated. But the pigs, they're not trampling the pearls out of spite. They don't know any better. They don't get it. Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, puts it this way. And man, this like, whew, it's intense, but I love it. It says, pigs cannot digest pearls, cannot nourish themselves upon them. And when we do that, it reflects our efforts to correct and control others by pouring out our good things, their audience is not ready for. Our seemingly good intentions will ultimately yield anger, resentment, and ultimately attack by the audience. This turns the analogy into one that exposes one's self-superiority in thinking the other needs the unbidden advice. Do you feel that? Do you feel angry and resentful at the world sometimes? Maybe it's because we need to take a step back and protect what is ours and think about wise discernment and share the gospel, of course, but also have the freedom to let go. Scripture makes it clear what our responsibility is. Our responsibility is that we should be bearing good fruit that reflects the transformative power of Jesus. That's very clear. It's very clear that we should be sharing the gospel. And again, use words when necessary. And it's our responsibility to build God's kingdom here on earth. But judgment doesn't have anything to do with those three things. So I was trying to wrap this up. You know, someone's like, what's, what's your point in one, one succinct sentence? And I'm like, I'm an English teacher, right? I, I've got lots of words to use. But I came up with this. This is the best I could do. We need to be discerning and hold accountable the people in our church community with whom we have relationships for the sake of building the kingdom. But let's not judge people who are living with worldly values Let's just love them. I think you might be surprised at how they respond to that instead. And if that doesn't resonate with you, and I understand that it might not, let's return back to Matthew 1, 2, that says this. For in the same way you judge others, 
you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's some scriptures that make me quake in my boots or my vans or my heels. And that one is a hard one because it doesn't take me very long to realize that I have so many planks in my eyes. It is not singular. It is not the plank in my eye. It is the planks in my eye. And I need a savior more than anyone. And you do too. And when we speak about judgment, I am so grateful. I am so humbled that we had a God who sent his son to save us from that kind of judgment, who was willing to take our bitterness, our resentment, our greed, our selfishness. I'm just listing off the ones I struggle with. And if we lay those down at the cross, he promises this, that his mercy is greater than his judgment. We're gonna end with a song and and that's the scripture. It's from James 2.13 and it says this, your mercy triumphs over judgment. Your love is wider than horizons, stronger than all sin. Lord, your kindness, it leads us to repentance to the heart of God. And that is my prayer as as we close that as we think about all these things, Lord, that we would leave with mercy, we would lead with love, and that that kind of love would heal our hearts, would transform our souls, and that we would come back again and again and again 